Today on Ag News Daily. Under the age of 10, most of the injuries on farms occur to children under the age of 10 who are just playing or hanging out or their parents maybe take a very small child into the workplace because they need to, quote, keep an eye on them. And we get it. There's not child care on every corner, and that's a real dilemma. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a December 1st edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast, sponsored today by Mystic Lubes. For a full look at their top quality products, visit mysticlubes.com. That's M-Y-S-T-I-K loops.com. Dana, it's hard to believe we're into December now. Yes, we are. And if you have to deal with the elf on the shelf and you forgot oh. this morning, you need to do this because all your kids are going to come home from school and say that their friends got their elves on the shelf. So uh, heads up. Oh, no, we started early. I couldn't find ours. Uh, so we do own a new one. But uh, we said our girls were extremely well behaved this year. So our elf showed up early. So we were the ones that made all the other parents mad because their kids went home and said, why didn't my elf show up early? You're just starting drama in in school, aren't you, Tanner? You're one of those parents. That's right. <laughs> yeah, on accident, it was uh, more to make my kids stop asking when the elf was going to come. Uh, but yes, if you are a parent and have to deal with elf on the shelf, um, I feel like there needs to be a uh, elf on a shelf anonymous group to where we can all get together and talk about our woes. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's a nice <laughs> for you. Yes. I'll start today off with news. Uh, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell made some comments yesterday on Wednesday, and those comments pointed towards a smaller interest rate increase that would be likely for the December meeting coming up here in a week. Uh, he cautioned, though, that monetary policy will stay restrictive for some time, and you'll still continue to see hikes. They just may not be as large. So, Delaney, this means instead of a three-quarter percent, the market is now expecting only a half percent increase for December. They say they will stay the course until the job is done uh, at his Washington, D.C. speech. So echoing again, recent statements from other central bank officials that are commenting since that November Fed meeting. He sees the central bank's position is in a positive side of reducing inflation and will probably start to reduce the size of rate hikes as soon as this month. So uh, positive news. Markets are certainly reacting to that today, but we'll see if those comments are interpreted correctly because he never flat out said they will be looking at a half percent hike. Well, Tanner, it seems like Washington certainly has been busy this week because we also got word yesterday after you guys recorded the podcast that legislation has been pushed through the floor for a vote to avert the national rail strike. It, of course, has to go to the Senate as well, but agricultural groups, along with other businesses, have been applauding at least the House floor for passing something here to avoid a December 9th rail strike. Uh, the House on Wednesday debated two resolutions, one of which, Tanner, would include the details that the Presidential Emergency Board Agreement provided that eight of the 12 unions voted to support. So that's one of the pieces that they voted to pass resolution, House Resolution 100, and it overwhelmingly passed, Tanner. Along with that, they also late Tuesday added a separate bill, House Resolution 119, that would give railroad workers seven days of paid sick leave. And 
that uh, seemed to have passed as well. Not quite overwhelming support there, but that one did definitely pass. And so now we, of course, have to see this head to the Senate floor before we see, I don't know how it actually goes about imp- getting implemented once we see it pass in in uh, the Senate, Tanner, but I believe it at least sends the rail strike concerns for now. Whether or not people quit following that or unions fight back, I don't know what kind of um, framework or legal action they can take if they don't like the way that Congress has voted in favor of this. Yeah, so it it's interesting to see why they were split up. And uh, the article that I read stated it was split up on purpose because lawmakers were using two previous case laws. One uh, related to school bus ruling in the past and the other to a previous rail case. Uh, but yes, it is very interesting to see that the second bill for that paid sick leave, which obviously we've been reporting on, is one of the major focuses. Well, rolling into my next story, I am going to talk commercial crude uh, stockpiles. As the report came out yesterday, they declined much more than expected. It looks like the major difference in the declining figure versus projection was the amount of imported crude. That figure was down much lower than expected. Stocks now are about 8% below the five-year average of this time. Last year, a week earlier, inventories fell by nearly 37 million barrels. So not good news on that side of things. However, on ethanol side, we saw inventories rise. So the ethanol output in the U.S. plunged week to week while those inventories climbed. The production in the last seven days ending November 25th decreased 1.018 million barrels. That's down from 1.04 million the week earlier. One could expect that to have included a couple of shutdown days production-wise for the Thanksgiving holiday. But Ethanol stockpiles rose to 22.934 million barrels. That's up from 22.829 earlier last week. This is now the largest level in the seven days since August 26. So crude oil stockpiles down, Delaney, ethanol stockpiles up. Well, Tanner, in some other energy-related news, the EPA is expected to release their biofuel volume targets for the next several years, anytime this week. And those new guidelines are expected to largely maintain the status quo with maybe some potential modest gains for ethanol and biodiesel. However, we also then, Tanner, got some legislation Tuesday from a bipartisan group of U.S. senators that introduced a bill that would reestablish year-round E15 sales. The group of 15 senators led by Deb Fisher of Nebraska and Amy Klobuchar introduced the Consumer and Fuel Retailer Choice Act of 2022 that would allow year-round nationwide sales of ethanol blends higher than 10% tanner. So that certainly was a big win here. And they said that they think this time around it's different because they have support finally from the oil industry, the American Petroleum Institute, which we've discussed, I think, last week on the podcast, has voiced um, support for year-round E15 sales, and it appears that they have supported this piece of legislation as well. So folks in Congress are feeling fairly optimistic that we could see this finally go through permanently, Tanner. Yeah, I had also queued up an article around those conversations. But before I get into my next story, let's pause for a message from our 
sponsor today. Since 1922, Mystic Lubricants has been providing superior performance and protection for farmers who demand the most out of their equipment. Today, Mystic continues to develop products in real-world conditions that are specially formulated to meet the unique demands of your specialized machines. They provide advanced protection for engine longevity and are the choice of people who make a living working the land. Learn more about Mystic products at mysticlubes.com. That's M-Y-S-T-I-K lubes.com. Corteva's in the headlines, Delaney. They have plans to acquire a Houston-based biological company, the Stroller, the Stoller Group, not the Stroller, that you put babies in, Stoller Group. In combination with Corteva's leading innovation, they are planning to use this Stoller acquisition to provide a platform for expanding and accelerating the biologicals business. They want to become one of the largest players in this rapidly expanding marketplace. Their chief executive officer are explained. There's not a lot of details out yet, but they know that they are trying to push and grow sales in more than 60 countries. This acquisition will reinforce the commitment they have to evolving the farming practices around the world. Stoller has already been successful by demonstrating their excellence in delivering the benefits of integrated solutions to your field. Biologicals obviously are a big focus for farmers. They're looking to grow the usage of these biologicals by 2035 to over 25% of overall crop production market takeover. So big growth goals in the next 10 to 15 years, Delaney, but Corteva will finalize this deal, and I'm sure we'll get more details about it. Right now, the illicit price for the Stoller acquisition is $1.2 billion, and uh, potentially, according to financial analysis here, that was 12 times their worth. So it looks like high expectations for this acquisition, and we will see more details coming down the pipeline. Well, Tanner, one thing we don't have firm confirmation on yet is what's going to happen with the hours of service rule for livestock haulers. We've seen ELD mandates. We've seen hours of service. We've seen a lot of issues for the livestock transportation industry, specifically here over the last couple of years. And farm groups have been working really diligently with the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration to try and extend hours of service. The livestock industry will be able to retain their 150-mile air radius exemption on the front and back of the shipment, but the agency is denied the hours of service request, which puts producers at a real disadvantage. And a lot of groups are saying, Tanner, it doesn't take into account the welfare or well-being of animals being transported, and that burden gets placed really heavily on the producers. So they said they're very disappointed by this. NCBA released a statement that said that they're very disappointed by this news, but they're going to continue to try and persuade uh, the hours of service to be extended for livestock haulers. Yeah, we had touched on that a little bit yesterday, that that was the expectation. So it's unfortunate that it went through with a negative vote. Last piece I have for today is to expect some changes on the crop insurance side for additional crops. If you have Crops such as oats, rye, and silage sorghum, those are the crops that will potentially see crop insurance changes. Farmers that are raising oats and rye will now be eligible for revenue protection beginning next year. The silage sorghum pilot endorsement will be a permanent program now starting in 2023. We know that there are a lot of markets that are using these crops as covers, but are also now finding available markets and more use 
for the crop as a cash crop rather than just cover. And of course, we know the versatility of sorghum in some of our drier listening areas. Farmers that now raise oats and rye are going to be eligible for this revenue protection starting next crop year. As stated, RMA expanded that portion of their small grains crop provision. So as you look here, it'll be very comparable to the same programs offered for barley and wheat, just now expanding those. This will cover potential excessive moisture, hail, wind, frost, insects, and other diseases, and will protect our listeners from revenue losses. RMA Administrator Marsha said that they are always striving to offer more risk management options and opportunities that are in the best interest of producers and is excited to put these new programs together. RMA will establish the prices for oats and rye up to 11 months prior to harvest. For those 21 and 22 crop years, oat prices climbed nearly 30% during that time period. So uh, it will be interesting here to see how they look at finalizing those price establishments. But these will be some good things to help protect farmers from increased volatility as we see the war in Russia and Ukraine continue. Tanner, I had that piece of news as well, so that takes me to my last piece of news today. Just a short clip here, but Argentina's government has decided to hike the price of biodiesel for domestic consumption to try and keep it just below the current rate of inflation. Their Ministry of Economy said they are retroactively establishing a value of about 1,450 peso, or excuse me, dollars per metric ton of biodiesel and that the value of biodiesel will be adjusted in subsequent months by 4% each month. In line with the price guidelines, the government seeks to replicate throughout the economy to try and tame inflation, Tanner. So they are going to be pushing things here. Uh, The price of biodiesel, they said, will reach, I don't know what this is in U.S. dollars. I should have double-checked this, about 283,000 pesos per metric ton in March. So they have a cap set in place, but between now and March, they're going to increase it 4% each month for their residents. Interesting. I just was quick trying to do that. That's about $14,600 per metric ton. So 280,000 is what you said. Mexican pesos is around $14,600. Got it. Yeah. And while we take a break for an ad from our sponsor today, I will try to convert that to a gallon or barrel for us as you get into the markets. Since 1922, Mystic Lubricants has been providing superior performance and protection for farmers who demand the most out of their equipment. Today, Mystic continues to develop products in real-world conditions that are specially formulated to meet the unique demands of your specialized machines. They provide advanced protection for engine longevity and are the choice of people who make a living working the land. Learn more about Mystic products at mysticlubes.com. That's M-Y-S-T-I-K lubes.com. Well, Tanner, coming back from that break, thanks again there to Mystic Lubes. Do you have your math done for us? Not yet. So go ahead and jump right into the markets and we'll get it finished up. Fantastic, Tanner. Well, looks like markets are opening mostly mixed this morning as we see new crop December corn. Actually, we're going to kick things here. Now we enter into December expiration. We're going to head into March corn, which is three cents lower on the morning at 664. January soybeans down 12 and down 13 cents here at the open at 1457. 
December, Chicago. Oh, I'm going to trip over that a few days, I'm guessing here. But March, Chicago wheat is seven and three quarters cents lower at 787. Hard red March wheat is down about 15 pennies on the morning at 884. And over in the livestock markets this morning, Tanner, we are certainly seeing some mostly positive trade here as well. Uh, February live cattle up 12 and a half cents at a buck 55.80. March January feeders up 95 cents at a buck 81.42. And February lean hogs are about 42 cents higher on the morning at 85.77. Tanner, did that give you enough time to do your math here? Yeah, I'm not 100% sure as the conversion goes, but we got pretty close. So it said there's about 268 barrels in a metric ton. So that would convert down on a gallon of diesel basis of around $4.54 if I did my math correctly. Okay. That's what they'll be paying then. (laughs) Exactly. Who do we get to talk to today? Tanner, today we are talking to the National Farm Medicine Center about farm safety. I think especially as it relates to children on the farm. Listeners, I'm here with Scott Heiberger, communication manager at the National Farm Medicine Center. We're going to talk a little bit about childhood injuries on the farm or accidents and the difference in injury, accident, incident, things like that. And Scott, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much. Absolutely. So to get started, I was a farm kid. I grew up on a ranch and there were a lot of accidents or incidents. So I want to talk about that. What does the statistics look like for children on the farm and is it getting better or worse? Well, over the last 25 years, we're happy to report on the one hand that rates of non-fatal injuries among children on farms is going down. It actually went down quite a bit, 60%. And and since we're talking about the rates, that's not just a reflection of the sheer number of injuries because you would expect as fewer kids live on farms, uh, you might have fewer injuries. But no, no, this is the actual rate of injury. So that's very good. Uh, still, there's about 33 children injured every day uh, on a farm on average in the country. So, you know, there's still work to do there. As far as fatal injuries... There's not been a drop. That's been real stubborn, and it still hovers around 120 so 120 or so children a year die in some kind of farm incident. If if you just look at the number 120, it doesn't sound like a whole lot for a whole country, but if we think about it, we probably all know of of a, a situation that uh, where a family member or a, uh, an acquaintance neighbor has uh, you know under the age of 18 has been lost. So um, so those those are the basic numbers. Some good news as far as non-fatal injuries. Uh, still working on the fatal injuries. So when it comes to these accidents or these injuries on farm, are they more equipment-based, livestock-based? What's the, what is the main cause of these incidents? Yeah, great question. You need to, to, to identify it, to focus on it. Um, tractors would be right up there. And, of course, that's, you know, on most agricultural operations, no matter what the commodity. And so machinery, as you say, um, and then you have some other things, engulfments, um, animal-related injuries. But, but yeah, tractors, machinery, um, and, and in that category, you'd put ATVs. That's right up there as far as, um, you know, things to be focusing on when you're working on injury prevention. And another thing, too, is kids who are not actually doing work. Under the age of 10, most of the injuries on farms occur to children under the age of 10 who are just, you know, playing um, or hanging out or their parents maybe take a very small child into the workplace because they need to quote keep an eye on them and we get it is there's not child care on every corner and that's a real dilemma 
but we, you know, we urge parents as, as much as they can, at least for the very hazardous work that they're doing, to, to do their best to try to keep that young child out of the workplace. You know, there are, there are some times when that's possible, and it's, it's really important. And with your company, are y'all doing anything as of education resources for these parents who need to educate their children on how to be safe on the farm? We have, we have two um, real good items, and, and the place we can find all of it is a website called CultivateSafety.org, all one word, CultivateSafety.org. And the resources are divided into uh, working kids and non-working kids. For the working kids, there's something called Ag Youth Work Guidelines, and these are designed for parents or hiring managers of young people to take a particular task. We have about 60 tasks in these Ag Youth Guidelines, and they can go through as the parent and decide, is my child or this child ready to do this job? It asks questions about their physical ability, their reach. Can they reach the controls? Can can they remember a three-step set of instructions? You know, just all the things that go into it because it's not just age-based. You know, uh, all 10-year-olds are not the same, et cetera. But if an adult goes through this checklist, they can get a, a decent idea. Is the child able to do this job successfully or Maybe that's a job that's best left to an older, uh, an adolescent or, a, or an adult. Then on the non-working children's side, there's a resource called um, Safe Play Areas on Farms. The idea behind that is to create a space away from uh, commotion, hazards, etc., uh, where those kids can, can possibly be while you're trying to get the work done and, and trying to concentrate on what you're doing. And as far as it goes outside of kids, what are the injury rates, accident rates for adults? Are they going up? Are they going down on farm? Yeah, good question there. Um, it's, um, I want to say, uh, about 800 or so fatal injuries in agriculture per year. Um, going up or down, you know, it's, it's very similar to the, to the children's injuries in that tractors and machinery are pretty prominent. Um, and then after that, you have some combination of uh, engulfments, drownings, um, animal-related injuries, uh, etc. cetera. Um, one real important area, and I don't have the latest stats on this, roadway safety. That's something that all of us, whether you're a farmer trying to be as visible as possible on the highways or a motorist uh, transiting through these areas during, you know, especially spring and fall, that's a real public awareness challenge. Everybody's got to be involved in this um, media, and we all have to do our part to make people as aware as possible when they're sharing those roadways. That's, you know, where the rural and, and town worlds uh, come together and unfortunately sometimes literally collide. And um, that's something that's only going to become, obviously, as farmers have to travel further to their parcels and uh, and motorists are moving out into these areas and, and living, um, you know, that, that life that they enjoy. Uh, there's just more traffic and more exposure to that type of that type of situation. And in our pre-conversation, we had talked about a little bit of a vocabulary change that you and your company are maybe working on or trying to see if there's interest in changing. What is that, and what's the the thought behind it? Well, we're looking at the word accident, accident versus incident. You know, for most of us grew up using the word accident. If something happened and and you didn't mean for it to happen, you called it an accident. Safety people for about the last 20 years we're wrestling with this word and saying, you know, if we call it an accident, that implies that there's nothing that could have been done to prevent it. And as safety people, that's, that's a pretty tough pill to swallow. And, and in fact, when you look at these incidents, most of the time there was something that could have been done 
uh, to prevent it. So what we're doing is starting to plant the seed. Hopefully um, it's something that doesn't cost anything. It's just kind of an attitude shift, you know, thinking about a word's definition. But we're going to uh, actually we have a small project in the works to survey ag media and just ask them, you know, have they ever thought of using the word, you know, do they use the word accident when they write up these reports? And if so, have they thought about using the word incident? And it sounds pretty subtle and, and not a big deal, but we're wondering what might happen if we all started uh, trying to erase the word accident from these, these injury reports and um, focus in, maybe use a more literal term like, you know, crash, rollover, whatever it specifically was, and and maybe get our all of ourselves off the hook a little bit by just kind of dismissing something as accidental. True, we didn't mean for it to happen. Nobody does. Um but if we call them an incident, maybe hope we're hoping that uh, farmers and those who work with farmers will start to look at these situations and maybe look at their work environments differently. Um, maybe take a take their eye and look around and see if there's uh, uh, a frayed wire that can be replaced or reflective, uh, you know, lighting on a uh, on a tractor to go down the highway. Maybe there's a shield that uh, needs to be put back in place. And you know, what can we do? to prevent these uh, incidents from occurring. And when you talk about these things were preventable in some instances, what is one actionable thing you could tell farmers and ranchers across the country that they could put into place to help try and prevent those incidents? Hmm. Uh, maybe just speak in those terms with, with their family and their employees and and even, you know, within the farm work site. Just, just stop using the word accident or... Um, if something, if they read something in the media, if they hear something from a neighbor and they hear the word accident, we're hoping that something triggers in their head and they go to themselves, well, wait a minute. Um, okay, there was um, a tractor rollover. Um, gosh, it didn't have a, didn't have a, it was an old tractor, didn't have a roll bar, didn't have a cab. Um, and unfortunately, you know, someone died. No one meant for that to happen, but what if they'd installed a roll bar on there and retrofit a roll bar? We know they're expensive, but I mean, there was an incident during Farm Safety Week nearby uh, our location in central Wisconsin. It's, it was a flat farm, you know, flat terrain. The farmer was driving an old farm all, you know, uh, tricycle-style tractor. He was straddling between the tilled field and this tall grass. And in the tall grass, he didn't see it, but there was a stump, not very tall, but an old weathered-down stump, maybe a foot and a half. He hit it, and his tractor turned over. Did not have a roll bar. Fortunately, the way it fell, he got pinned under the seat in a way that he could still breathe, and he had his cell phone. That's another good tip. Always have your cell phone. There's certain things you can do to maximize your chance of, of survival and doing well. And um, he was able to call for help, and a fire department that had gone through one of our trainings in emergency response on farms responded. They followed their training. They lifted the tracker off, and the, and the guy just had bumps and bruises. So what I'm coming back to is, you know, as we look at our equipment and look at our practices, um, would that truly have been an accident? Would there have been nothing that the farmer could have done beforehand? Uh, well, if you think about it, you know, there is. Um, could have put a roll bar. So, um, you know, obviously the, the checklists are, are very long. It's a to-do list of repairs and trying to keep up that, that maybe we never quite get to the top of. But we're urging farmers and those who work on farms to, as much as possible, um, try to get rid of that word accident or when they hear it, think to themselves, no, wait a minute, what what could have been done? Not to be judgmental, not to be Monday morning quarterback and, and play the blame game or something, but it's going forward. It's it's not about 
blaming someone for an incident that occurred, but it's about how do we prevent this from happening to someone else. And if we just keep calling them accidents and saying, well, that's that's how it goes, um, we may not make progress. Well, Scott, to wrap up here, I know you had mentioned in the beginning some studies being done about adolescents' mental health and the effect of their parents' stress on them. What have you all found around that, and what is being done for that? Um, well, to, to cut to the chase, so far uh, the study's not over, but so far we are seeing indications that if there's there's stress on the parents, that's going to carry over to, to the children, of course, uh, to the adolescents specifically, and that's, of course, a tender age sometimes, um, being an adolescent. And uh, we're seeing that it's uh, very likely contributing to mental health issues within those adolescents. Um, you know, this all fits into the greater picture of, of farm stress. And in the last few years, I think there's been a lot of progress of getting rid of the stigma and talking about it. I, I, you know, at this meeting, I think it was, you know, four years ago or so, everybody was saying, what can we do? What can we do about the problem of, of mental health and stress and suicides? And everyone wanted to help. Well, I think with all the conversation, I feel like we've seen a change. I feel like it's a more open environment to share feelings. So we're doing good there. Now, as the National Children's Center, we're trying to zero in on a particular part of it, and we feel like our part of this could be, as you say, looking at, at the family dynamic and seeing to what extent stress from the, the parents is being passed down. And if we can be more knowledgeable about those those family dynamics, maybe there's Maybe parents can go about these stressors and issues differently with their children. Maybe instead of the natural tendency to want to shield your children from these external factors that are causing you so much um, anguish, maybe maybe you can talk about them. Maybe you can put them on the table more, and that might be better. You know, you think you're doing them good by shielding them, but maybe you would uh, do more good by um, sharing that load. Just like um, we're trying to encourage farmers to do these last few years. You know, share the load. Don't don't face it alone. And and maybe that includes your your family as well. Well, Scott, we appreciate you talking with us today. I hope you have a great trade shop. Thanks so much. Thanks for your time. Well, thanks, Delaney, for you and Cassidy enjoying that conference you went to and having more content for our listeners. We will continue to share conversations of value with them, wouldn't you say? I think we certainly will. We've got a lot of great conversations still coming up here over the next few weeks, Tanner. So with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.